our series on the cast of Christmas. We're going to start a place which I suppose is not too close to the actual Christmas narrative that we find in, in Matthew and Luke, um, but it's a really important place because it sets the scene um, and it creates um, a bit of expectation for us. And we're going to be looking at that a little bit, but we're going to be looking at the prophets. Uh, the prophets, not we just read from Isaiah, but not only Isaiah, but other ones actually looked at different things that um, uh, God had um, was going to be doing, and they they predicted um, that Jesus would be coming. And so in Isaiah, which we just was just read, it, it sort of said that the people at the time were going through different things, and and God spoke into that time and said, "Oh, look, there's going to be a sign that comes that God is at work." And behold, the virgin will conceive and he'll be a child and he'll be called Emmanuel and God is with us. Again, we've just sung, joy to the world, the Lord has come. It's not joy to the world, we hope he's coming soon. Um, Joy to the world, we we hope Jesus shows up someday. Joy to the world, we hope God is real. No, no, we have joy. And and, and what the prophets promised was that, that God would be coming and it created this expectation. And the thing is, with Christmas, we actually have a sense of expected delivery. Um, in fact, like this year, I've actually kind of, this is a bit of an advertisement in a way, so I don't know if I'll, I'll get any of this, but I've enjoy Amazon this year um, because throughout COVID, there was a number of things that we bought um, for church and for myself. Um, we went, oh, that's We'll get that. And the thing that has really impressed me is that it normally arrives earlier than what they predict. Um, and so, like, you've got this expectation for three weeks and it arrives in two weeks. And you say, all of a sudden, like, yeah, oh, I'm, I feel happy about that. I've got it earlier. And, and so I've actually got to the point now, I'm a bit, probably in a bit of danger. I've actually got this expectation that when Amazon says three weeks, it'll be there in two weeks. And there's going to come a time it'll arrive in three weeks. And I'll be disappointed because they've actually kept their word. Um, it'll be a bit strange. Um, but in, in America, basically, um, they did a survey, uh, and according to, I think, the Washington Post, there was basically one of the shipping companies over there, over 750 million packages are sent during the holiday season. Um, so uh, we, we've actually got our first one, uh, courtesy of um, Hands Delivery last week. Uh, Hands made that trip to Toowoomba and package home from from my parents for our family and and the thing is but there's this expectation you sit in front of your computer you look what you want you click and then you wait wait, and it comes um and so sometimes you're you're waiting you'll be waiting for presents that you may have sent to other family and so you get to the point where you you're waiting for them to be excited about what you've sent oh did you get my gift yet did you have you opened it have you realized what it is yet um, maybe you, you're going to be a bit creative and what you're going to do is actually give someone one of those subscriptions where they get something every month. So they'll, they'll be getting excited every month at getting that, that new cheese in the mail or something like that or, or, um, or a new, new catalogue or new book. And so we can actually create this, this um, thing where we, we create this expectation. And this is exactly what the people of Israel were waiting for. And I, I, I would assume that there was a little bit of impatience in the waiting though um, because it was hundreds of years they'd been listening to the prophets they'd, they'd listened to the different prophecies about Jesus coming and when it would be and, and again they were probably looking for something a little bit different I'm not saying their expectation was right it's like a little child who says I want this for Christmas and the parent goes yeah oh, we'll see what Santa brings and says that line and all of a sudden the parents give them something totally different like oh, I wanted this 
New fandangled sort of super remote control air sort of sort of robot, and they get a pair of underwear. And, they, and of course, the kids are going to be disappointed. But with Jesus, he was actually coming to give the Israelites, he was coming to give us way more than what we expected. But sometimes we, our expectations were the Israelites wanted a saviour to come to get rid of the Romans, to put them back in the power and to make them God's people again. Well, that's what Jesus wanted to do. He wanted to actually free the Israelites and the world from slavery altogether, spiritual and physical. He wanted them to free them from that and, and basically save the world. So Jesus actually came in with this bigger expectation. But the Israelites were waiting. Um, you, they were waiting for, for, for Jesus to come and to do what he wanted to do. And, and, and the thing is, though, when it comes to Christmas... We've, we've got this, we, I don't know, who's, who starts sort of looking forward to Christmas early? Who's one of those people that, okay, October, they start listening to Christmas carols or something like that? We got anyone like that? Okay, so when's it really kick in for people? Is it when the Christmas decorations go up in the shops? Is it when you start buying your first presents? Like, is it Christmas? Who's Christmas Eve? Like, there, there might be a few people that like Christmas. But the thing is, sometimes we have this build-up, we have this expectation for Christmas, and all of a sudden, though, Christmas Day comes... Like depending on what your family does, you might have a couple of meals with different people. But after that, after the meal's done and all the preparation that goes into the food, done in a really small period of time and everyone goes home and, and like if, you, if you're the person that home it is, you get stuck with the leftovers, at least that's something good. But the actual Christmas, it seems to be really quickly, but the build-up, the expectation, the wait seems to be so, so much longer. And so basically when we look at um, the Old Testament, the promise of Jesus coming was, was actually even before the prophets. Uh, who, who knows when Jesus was first spoken about? Genesis. So Genesis 3.15 says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And so the, the work of the serpent, serpent began... Um, that was expressed through Adam and Eve's conscious choice to sin would one day be crushed through the arrival of her offspring. And that offspring, of course, is the one whom Christmas points to. Um, so we had this major push right from the beginning pointing towards um, the one that will rescue us from the bondage of, of Satan and of sin. Um, so when we look at the Israelites, we, we see everything they did actually talked of this promised Messiah. Their, their sacrifice, sacrificial system spoke of a pure lamb that would come one day, that would fulfill that, that offering. Um, the slavery and sorrow of the Israelites that they faced um, points to the bondage we all face before we acknowledge his arrival. And the prophets looked and longed for his coming. So 700 years before Jesus was born, um, the prophet Michael was inspired by God to look forward to his birth. And in Micah 5.2 he wrote, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among a clan of, clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from, um, from of old, from ancient times. Um, the one from ancient times who Micah um, uh, has wrote about has more than a hundred different names in the Bible. He's called Alpha Omega, the Word of Life, the Bright Morning Star, the Light of the World, I Am, the Ancient of Days, Jesus. And his name, Emmanuel, means God with us. You, you imagine Jesus having to like, fill out one of those forms, uh, also known as. 
Uh, I need another piece of paper. Like, can I just write on the back? Jesus was known as a lot of different things because back then in, in the Old Testament, names were actually written to give meaning and show the character of the person. So Ancient of Days, the one who is, 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 was around for a long time, the bright morning star, the one that shines in our life, um, Emmanuel, God with us. It, it was all put to point to us who Jesus was. And so this time of Christmas all of a sudden becomes a perfect time for us to wait and to prepare for Jesus. As the prophets waited for Jesus' arrival, we wait and prepare for his second coming. We wait on him uh, in times of trial and and stress. Um, In some ways, we know what Micah, Isaiah and Moses and so many who look for Jesus went through. Like them, we know that Jesus is coming again. And we don't know when. And like them, we need to prepare our hearts to receive and grow in him now as we anticipate the day when we will meet him face to face. While he may uh, indeed come a little bit longer than we want, some of us are going, Jesus, come tomorrow. I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm worn out like um, today was, was the last straw. Please come tomorrow. But we may have to wait longer. But you can be certain that we are all in our own last days. We will soon witness his arrival in some form. And we will soon meet him at the end of our own lives. Either way, we must be prepared. And so there's this idea of expected delivery. But also what we need to realise as we, as we start to prepare, like the prophets began to pre- prepare and we look to prepare now, pre- preparation begins with repentance. You might say that John the Baptist was the last prophet who had to wait for Jesus' first arrival. He shows us how to prepare our hearts uh, for Jesus in our lives now and how to prepare our hearts for Jesus' return. In Matthew, Matthew 3, 2, uh, John actually said, Repent. For the kingdom of heaven has come near. So John is speaking here, and so sometimes we read we read passages of the Bible. This this chapter of Matthew, it sort of all seems to happen really quickly. But you probably find that these things that he said are spread over a little bit of time. Here's John out on the Jordan River saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. But then in verse eight, John says, Produce fruit fruit in keeping with repentance. And then in verse 11, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance. He's basically saying, you guys need to get ready for Jesus' coming. He's not far away. So you've got to do what you can do. And that's in the end, that's what John got and killed for because he called even the leaders of the country to repent of the things that they had done wrong. Now, if you are anything like me, and hopefully you're not, hopefully you are good Christian people, um, I can get in the habit where the things that I need to repent on, I actually actively try and justify. I only did that because, and this is a really good reason, and I, and in fact, you shouldn't be judging me because you're way worse than me. And all of a sudden, my list goes on and on and on for the reasons not to repent. And all of a sudden, I'm actually not preparing myself to receive all the things that God has for me. It is easy to point the finger at others. It is easy for us to look around the world and go, oh, I am nothing like that. But if we actually sort of look at what David said back in the Psalms and sort of says, like, examine my heart, show me any wicked way in me. That's a dangerous prayer to pray at times because God has actually gone, well, yeah, okay, if you're honest, I don't like that attitude. I don't like the way you do that. I don't like the way that you should have, you've got anger against that person. You need to get rid of that. But God, I don't want to. 
But you just asked me to show me any wicked way. Seriously. I didn't want to be so harsh about it. I thought you'd just give me a high five and you're doing a good job. But God actually wants us to repent. He wants us to move away because any of those things, this is the thing, if we hang on to any sin in our life, what it does, it puts us in bondage of some form. It traps us in, it holds us there. It can actually increase our anger and our hatred. It can increase our lack of peace. It can increase and and rob our joy. And so we actually need to repent from that. We need to turn from that. Um, But John is actually saying we need to change your approach. Reconsider how you think about things and begin to act differently. Um, The story goes, there's a story about this guy named Harvey who went into a hardware store to buy a chainsaw. And he told the the, the shopper, says, I want want one that will cut down about 10 trees in an hour. Um, The next day, Harvey came back and he was really upset. He said, hey, this chainsaw saw only cut down one little tree in an hour. And the clerk said, hmm, let me, let me have a look at it for you. The clerk pulled this on the starter open and saw the starter right up. And Harvey looked in wonder and said, what's that noise? The thing is, if we have something, we don't use it in the correct way, all of a sudden it doesn't work. So Harvey needed to think differently and to change his approach. In the same way, Christmas gives us the opportunity to consider our approach and make change. Is Christmas going, this Christmas going to be like all the rest? Rushed, stressful, overwhelming, um, looking forward to a break somewhere in there? Or will we take our cue from the prophets of old who are waiting and preparing for his arrival? Will we allow this season to be one of reflection and adoration and repentance? There is a, no better footing on the road to Jesus than, uh, than a broken road with humility, understanding our need and repentance. And as the psalmist tells us, a broken and contrite heart, God, you will not despise. That's from Psalm 51, 17. Despite the, the, the huge sort of um, amount of prophecies in the Old Testament describing the birth and death and the purpose of the Messiah, there was at least one idea that caused the vast majority of the religious leaders to miss the gift when it came. Strangely enough, they didn't really understand the significance of the original sin. We know that regulations were incredibly important to them. Avoiding sin was paramount, but redemption for sin was nearly ignored. When they looked for salvation, they weren't really thinking about their need for salvation from sin. They were looking for salvation from foreign rule and oppressive government. And their mistaken belief about the mission of the Messiah became their most important conviction about him. Let's not make the same mistake. Let's remember that we are in desperate need. Although our feelings may tell us otherwise, it is not the need um, for a way to pay all our Christmas bills. We are, we're not so desperate for a way to get everything done that needs to be accomplished before Christmas. We are desperate for a saviour who will cleanse us from our sin once and for all. We are in need of a Messiah who came to die for what we have done and how we have failed. So preparation leads to, redem- to repentance, but preparation actually increases expectation. Uh, yesterday, we, we started to do a few Christmas decorations at home, and all of a sudden the kids got, oh, Christmas is, must be getting real close now, the tree's up. Like, um, and Elizabeth and I probably didn't have that same feeling. Like, we're going, uh, it's still weeks away. We're, we're just worn out. Like, we, that ex- but for the kids, they saw that extra preparation there, and all of a sudden, it was one step closer. Um, next year, I'll know to put up the tree the day before Christmas, so the expectation is shorter. 
But, but the thing is, with anything that we do, as we, as we see it happen, if you're building a house and you see the slab go down and you see, oh, that's the shape of the house and you see the walls come up, you see the doors go in, the windows come up, all of a sudden you can walk around in the rooms inside. Preparation actually sort of multiplies your expectations. Like soon we're going to be living here. Or when the Chinese were getting ready to host the 20, uh, 2008 uh, Olympics, they had the, the vision and expectation to show the entire world that they had become a world power. In 2001, the International Olympic Committee announced China would host the Games and preparations began immediately. And by uh, uh, 2007, China had built a new national stadium, a new national swimming centre, a new shooting range, a new cycling velodrome, a new national tennis centre and a new national hockey stadium. China used more than 15,000 performers in their opening ceremonies. And of those performers, 2,200 had a small part in demonstrating martial arts. That group lived and prepared together in an army camp for three solid months. And they practiced for 16 hours a day. Many of the performers were given diapers to wear during the rehearsals so they didn't have to take breaks. So imagine, like, okay, Pastor Keith's going to be um, preaching that long that we're handing out nappies on the way in. Um, one rehearsal lasted 51 hours straight during a rainstorm. There's, a, there's a, a preparation that breeds expectation. And there's much to be said about China's human rights record. But I have to admit, they delivered a, um, during the opening ceremony. They had huge expectations, they made tremendous preparations, and they delivered amazing results. Have you ever considered how you prepare for work or school if you, if you expected Jesus to be there, sitting there when you arrived? How would you prepare for church if you knew God Almighty was going to show up and meet you there when you got here? Have you ever thought about that? Like, oh, God is going to be there and would it change the way you get up to church? Like, um, especially since he knows about everything that goes on beforehand. Like, we walk in through the door and we sort of game face on, smile, everything's good. In the car, just even outside, you guys will be good to talking, no running around. And that's just the wives to the husbands. So I'm not, not even talking about the mothers to the kids. But the thing is, like, you imagine Jesus is aware of all that and Jesus is here for us. Does that change how we prepare for that? How would you be, spend your time getting ready in the morning if you knew the Holy Spirit was just wanting to tell you something amazing as soon as you were ready to listen? He said, oh, he's, just, he's just holding back until you give him the time. And, and whatever, and there's so much to take up our time in the morning. For some people, it's more sleep. That's what takes up their time in the morning. The alarm goes off. 13 times before they actually roll out of bed. For some, it's grabbing a device. For some, the kids are in, in their rooms before they even have a chance to wa- open their eyes and turn on their brain. Like we, we, have, we have a lot of stuff, but if God is waiting for us in the morning saying, hey, this is the plan I have for you today. This is the truth I want you to hold on to. This is the peace I to give to you. And he sits there waiting patiently for us to go, oh, tell me what you need to tell me. And, but we never go to him. Or we wait till we wait till nighttime, saying, "God, were you with me today?" I was like, "I was waiting for you. I was waiting for you." If we had such expectations, would surely it would affect our preparations for each season and each day? Actually, Jesus will indeed be in our work and our school. God is ready to meet us um, any time we reach out to meet Him. God's word is alive and active, and God is willing to speak to you if you're willing to read and listen. We can be certain that all of us 
uh, in our own individual um, uh, time, regardless of how long it takes, are preparing for Jesus' return. Perhaps knowing that Emmanuel is here now with us, as he was here with us yesterday and will be here with us tomorrow, can change the way we prepare for Christmas and work and school and church and even tomorrow morning as we start a new week. Preparation also brings fruit. It it creates um, preparation, sort of um, um, increases expectation, but it also brings fruit. Um, There is one test that demonstrates whether or not you or another person has truly repented. Your behaviour will change. I think a lot of times we, we, we begrudgingly or quickly will say a sorry to get us out of trouble. Sorry I did that. But we're not really repenting of a behaviour. We're not really repenting of an attitude. We're not repenting of an action. We're just getting ourselves out of trouble. Because what we find is that we do the same behaviour, action, attitude, the gossip or whatever else comes out of our mouth. We're not truly sorry for what we've done and it doesn't bring a change. If a person commits a sin against you and apologises and does the same thing, have they truly repented? We're not talking about forgiveness here because forgiveness is found in the strength of the cross, not the strength of our apologies or will. We're talking about repentance. Now, I'm sure your friend who have apologised felt truly sorry. I believe that they intended not to continue in that sin. However, the fruit in their life shows whether or not they have have had a change of heart. In the same way, the fruit of our lives shows our preparation through repentance. Sometimes that change is incremental, so it's a small change. Maybe we, we, we've got angry when the last time that happened, and this time we still got angry, but it wasn't as angry, or we got over it quicker, or we didn't get angry as quick. But it takes time until it's complete. And if you aren't walking away from sin, then you haven't repented of sin. Like some, some of us sort of go, we kind of put our toes in the water of sin, and like it's, we enjoy it while it's there, and, and whether it's whether it's being angry, whether it's um, whether it's enjoying things that sort of come our way, and, and sort of go which we shouldn't enjoy, and we just sort of just just put our feet in a little bit, thinking oh we can take it out whenever we need to, or maybe we sit right by the side of the of of this pond of sin and sort of go, oh I'm not really doing anything, I'm not really getting involved with that, but we're not moving away from it. It's there to go back on. It becomes a safety net for us to, to enjoy life. I'll be good again tomorrow. I'll just put my foot in today. And then one day we fall in and we're in there and go, oh, well, God will forgive me eventually. I'll, I'll come out of this soon. That's not repentance. Repentance is walking away from sin and, and, and sort of walking towards God. The difference between feeling sorry and repentance is found in understanding how ugly and damaging sin really is. We're sorry, but the, but the need that sin meets and, and the draw the sin has in our life or the habit we've built is stronger than our repulsion to the sin. See, see that's the thing. If sin, who, who believes sin is an ugly thing? Some of you aren't so sure, going, okay, maybe I, I'm enjoying my sin too much. I really enjoy that. Sin is ugly. Um, and again, I don't like... I don't know about you when you've have you ever walked through like one of those haunted houses or something like that and you see something comes out of nowhere it, it, it sort of it brings a quiet response from you going whoa 
our sin, we've kind of got used to it. Going, oh, it's not that attractive, unattractive, it's not that bad. It's not as bad as that person's sin over there, so I'm happy to live with my sin. But the thing is, we should get to the point where our sin so much that we run from it into the grace of God. Um, that is why people often have to hit rock bottom before they can turn around. We have, this, have to see the real impact and ugliness of sin and it should be enough for us to say, I'll do whatever it takes to never go there again. Lord God, please help me and show me where I can go and, and, and what I can do to turn my back and be free of it. Our sincerity is proven in the way that we live, the help we seek, the prayers we offer and the choices we make. Do you want to know if you're preparing for Christ's arrival? Do you want proof that you are getting ready for Christmas? Just answer this question. Is my life bearing the fruit of God? That's not a test whether or not you've been saved. The test for salvation is found in Romans 10:19. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And we all know John 3:16 it says whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We take God at his word. And the test of for a heart that is active in its preparation to meet Jesus is the test of whether or not we see the evidence of fruit in our lives. There are all sorts of varieties of spiritual fruit. It could be increased service, a closer relationship with God, a greater ability to encourage or to care for others, a stronger family life, victory over sin, a greater peace, deeper love. Think of your life three or four Christmases ago. Do you have more fruit in your life now than you did then? Are you letting God work in your life? Are you preparing and letting, um, letting that preparation bring about the change with God's fruit growing in your life? And if not, it's not too late to start bearing fruit. Repent of complacency, of, of, of following religious practices and not being in relationship with God or anything else holding you back. Draw near to him in expectancy and look for ways to fruitfully live out your faith because Christmas is coming. And also... Jesus is coming again. Is our expectation uh, um, letting us get prepared for that reality? Or finally, as we look at um, what the prophets also promise, we see there's an expected rescue that comes with um, what was told. The promise Malachi and all the other prophets clung to um, was that they would be rescued. It was so important that we remember our preparation is not our salvation nor is it our rescue. Rather, our preparation is our response to what Jesus has already done for us and in us. In 2013, there was a movie called Captain Phillips. Um, it's, uh, the, the lead actor was Tom Hanks, and basically he had this big oil tanker on the coast, and often they would have pirates who would raid these um, ships um, to basically steal stuff and, and go sell it back on the mainland. And these big oil tankers didn't have guns or anything like that and would often use water cannons and stuff to dissuade these um, pirates from coming on. Um, and basically through a series... Um, so, but in this movie, some Somali pirates commandeered a cargo ship um, pirated by Captain Phillips. And through a series of events, um, the captain convinces his captors to let his crew go while he and the pirates leave the cargo ship together on a lifeboat. So he would go with them and probably be offered as a ransom um, so they'd get something and they'd get out of there. 
Um, the pirates then promptly made a beeline um, with the lifeboat for Somalia. So let's get to the coast. Once we're in Africa, the Americans, no one else can actually do anything to intervene. We'll be able to um, sort of offer a, a ransom for him and we'll get heaps of money to keep furthering our cause here in Somalia. Um, but one of the best moments uh, in, the, in the film, and the moment that has, um, is, is when out of the darkness, the horns of the USS Bainbridge thunder through the sea and floodlights, illuminate the ocean and the lifeboat. So this is making its way to the sea, going as fast as it can. And they hear this tremendous noise and floodlights are shining upon them. They can't, can't go anywhere where they can't be seen. And you can see the relief and elation wash over Captain Phillips's face. The USS Bainbridge is one of 40, has, is one of 46 guided missile, missile destroyers in the US Navy with massive guns and missile capabilities to destroy more than 100 targets simultaneously. So if you're in that little lifeboat, you go, we're probably in a little bit of trouble here. Like, um, you're not sort of, um, sort of holding up hope of getting away. And when the Bainbridge comes to the rescue, you know the pirates are in trouble and that a real hope has finally arrived. And watching that film, I thought, I don't, I never, don't ever want to be on the wrong side of a fight with the US Navy because they'll, they'll rock up and, and be impressive. One thing I hope we understand about Christmas in the midst of, of the sentimentality of the nativity scenes in the soft sweetness of a way in a manger and the Christmas is that Christmas is a rescue mission. It's when God basically showed up with floodlights and the angels with the floodlights going, hey, this is what's happening. There was, and they were the, the, the horns as well as they declared that God was with us. Glory in the highest is what they declared. The one who came to our rescue wasn't um, some outgunned, outclassed or hopeless underdog. The one who came to rescue was Emmanuel, was God with us, who had the power and authority to call down the angels of heaven for his purposes and desires. We, we, I think we forget that. I think Jesus in the manger becomes real manageable for us. Like, oh, this is nice. Nice Jesus. Give him a cuddle. Put him back there. We'll see you next year. But the same baby that was in there had command over the armies of heaven. The ancient one humbled himself to become fully man because we were the hostages being held captive by sin. Christmas was beginning of a rescue mission, mission, mission that was con- conceived and carried out on our behalf, by none other than God himself. So this Christmas, I'm not expecting and preparing to be stressed out and overwhelmed. I'm not expecting things to fall apart. I'm not expecting, preparing to be defeated. I'm waiting expectantly for God to come through for you and me. I'm waiting expectantly for Jesus to be revealed in our lives. I'm waiting expectantly knowing that he is preparing me for heaven and chiseling away the hardness of my heart. I'm waiting expectantly for the plans he has for you and for me and for for his church as we move into next year. I'm waiting expectantly for his kingdom to advance. I'm waiting expectantly for the lost to be found and the blind to see. I'm waiting expectantly for his love to be made known to a hurting and dying world through you, through me and through his church. I'm waiting expectantly for Jesus to return and to claim his bride. Emmanuel, God with us. God has come. We have been rescued and through his rescue we have been saved and brought back home. And because the rescue is complete, our best response is to prepare in great expectation of the realisation of all that Jesus has accomplished when we see him 
at the second coming. I don't know about what you were expecting for Christmas before today, but I'm thinking expect more. Don't settle for, okay, we're going to have a good Christmas day with family. We'll have a bit of a sugar rush, food rush, food coma. We'll have some time with family. We'll have some nice presents and that will be it. Expect more than that. Expect what God is wanting to do in us, through our church, and as he prepares us for the year ahead. Let's just close in prayer. Father, we thank you for sending your son to rescue from our sin. In response and in preparation for our certain home in heaven, we pray as David prayed. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me into the way of everlasting. Lord, I pray as we go this week, no matter what we have on our plate, I know for a lot of us our plates are full already. Uh, things that are weighing us down, things that are hurting us, things that are stressing us out and causing us to stay awake at night. For some of us, it's we're waiting for something to happen. Some of us are, are in points of, of, of not sure what direction to take. But Lord, in the middle of all that, may we be expecting you to be moving in a mighty way. May our expectation, our preparation bring about repentance and, and will bear your fruit in our lives. And may we be an evident, evidence of what you are doing in us as we engage in our workplaces, in our homes and our families. And so, Lord, this week, as we remember the prophets and their part that they play, may we too come with an expectation of what you bring this Christmas. If our expectation is small, I pray that you would increase that, that you would multiply that, so that we would truly know the fullness of what you want us to know this season. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.